Oh, oh, speak! Bring it on, speak! Oh, so close you are! How do you feel about this situation? Life, it's so fun. It is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why do you why do you think they're here? I don't know. You know, they want to be seen, but they don't want to be seen. That's, that's the best. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good one. It's really fucking weird. That's what it is. <laughs> I can't, I walked here and they're like speaking like bird trips or whatever. It's just slightly unnerving to see them around. Um, just because I don't know really why they're here. I assume it's for some frat or some secret society or something like that. Um, hopefully, because otherwise that'd be like hella creepy. You've seen them. You know you love them. I sure as hell don't. They make me livid every time I see them on campus. They don't make me livid. It's more like, what are you, what are you doing? And why are you so self-important? Why do you think that you can occupy this space when no one else can and have absolutely no consequences for it? We're not talking about squirrels. We're talking about secret societies. Every year around the end of the year, we read a bunch of think pieces on the Chronicle or the Standard or whatever other publication there is about secret societies because in the week leading up to LDOG and especially on the day of LDOG, you see a handful of predominantly white men wearing black robes, black sunglasses, and black graduation caps. So we kind of pulled together all the evidence in the Rubenstein archives, uh, the things people have seen, the things we've seen, and are bringing it to you in this episode as a compilation of what we know about these people, but more importantly, what we don't know about them yet. So to set the tone for this episode, we have a special treat for you guys. Over the past few weeks, we've been asking Duke students to send in their secrets anonymously. And they have. People really have a lot that they want to get off their chest. So throughout this episode, you'll be hearing what people who are walking past you on the quad are holding in the depths of their hearts. And to be clear, the people who you hear speaking are not the people that wrote them. So just if you hear a friend, it's probably not what they wrote. <laughs> but you know, you never know. They yeah, might know. they might actually also have that secret. And that's the theme of this episode. We don't know <laughs> a lot of what's going on with secret societies, with um, the people that we share classes, rooms, and our lives with. But we think it's important to take some time to consider that and try to find out as much as we can. I'm Alex Gonzalez. I'm Molly Frasinori. And this is Here at Duke. I severely damaged my GPA by sleeping through an exam I wasn't allowed to make up. Well, I told my friends that I accidentally slept through it. I was really just having sex with a guy that my friends hate. I hate that I can't tell them, but... 
they'll lose so much respect for me. So let's start at the beginning. This is Donovan, one of our producers, and he is going to tell us about the history of secret societies at Duke. So the first secret society at Duke was the Order of the Red Friars. It was founded in 1913, and every year, well, except for when they suspended activity during World War II, tapped seven new members. So before you go any further, um, can you tell us where and how you found all of this information? All of this is actually in the Rubenstein archives. When the Red Friars disbanded in 1971, all of their information was donated to the Rubenstein rare manuscripts and open to the public. So it seems like there is an established relationship between the Order of the Red Friars and Duke since they donated this information. Do you know how much Duke knew about them? Oh yeah, Duke knew. So much so that they had honorary members that were actually faculty and even administration. Who were these people? Big Duke names. Few, Wanamaker, Allen. There were always at least three honorary members in addition to the seven student members. They were a really formal organization that had an agenda with the intention of bettering the university through projects like housing reform, course evaluations, and even pep rallies. This wasn't just a role. It was a responsibility, too. So if they were a group focused on improving life on campus, why did they need to stay secret? So they weren't exactly secret. During their time on campus, tapping ceremonies were made public. These ceremonies happened on West, on the Quad, and the Chronicle would even publish the list of the new members that were tapped. So this might seem like a stupid question, but were there any women involved? Believe it or not, there was a separate female secret society that existed at Duke. What? Are you serious? I've, like, never heard about this before. Yeah, it was called the Order of the White Duchy, founded in 1925, but the founding class of women was chosen by the Red Friars class of 1925. Mm, That sounds more like it. Like the Order of the Red Friars, the White Duchy had seven members and were relatively visible on campus and had honorary members like Alice Baldwin. Like um, Baldwin scholars Alice Baldwin? Yes, but it's not like the Baldwin scholars are some secret society. The White Duchy disbanded in 1968, and the Baldwin scholars are a more recent scholarship program based on merit, but to some extent, I guess you can see the Baldwin scholars carrying out the mission that the White Duchy set out. So what was their mission statement? Well, let me read it to you. The purpose of the White Duchy is to better cooperation between the men and the women, and in every way set an ideal example for our fellow students. What's interesting about both the Red Friars and the White Duchy is they took themselves as a very serious organization. They took stances on issues like school integration and housing reform and would make their stances clear to the administration, often writing formal letters of correspondence and meeting with high-ranking administration officials. So it seemed like there is this kind of open line of dialogue between the secret societies, at least in the first half of the 20th century and the administration, and that there was kind of a symbiotic relationship, almost as if the secret societies, or maybe not so secret at the time, the Order of the Friars and the White Duchy, um, that they were almost like the representatives of the students, right? Yes, in a way. And the members of these organizations certainly held high leadership positions all around campus. 
Right now, Donovan and I are looking at some of the old archive material that we found in um, the Rubenstein archives. And so we're looking at um, the tapping ceremony for the White Duchy. Is that right? Yes, the White Duchy and the Red Friars. And the Red Friars. Okay, so it's interesting because I'm reading this right now, and this is from 1954. And um, something that really stands out to me is that it says, At the Red Friar Tapping Ceremony, Grady Price, president of his social fraternity and member of the Board of Governors of the New Student Union, was the first rising senior to be tapped by the red-shrouded figure. So there's a lot to unpack in this one sentence, right? So first of all, just like the image of someone shrouded in red is kind of creepy, right? Yeah. The Red Friars had a symbol of the Red Carnation. So on campus, the color red was kind of symbolic of their organization, the White Duchy, the White Carnation. So at white, the White Duchy tapping ceremonies, even a little bit more scary and controversial, a white hooded figure. Okay. <laughs> so that is, um, you know, the, the image that it evokes is one of almost like cult-like fascination. Hooded figures on East and West tap rising seniors in ceremony. These organizations want to be secret, but not secret to the point where they can't take credit for being a part of the organization. The White Duchy ultimately disbanded 50 years ago on May 3rd, 1968. In a letter to the Chronicle, the White Duchy clearly laid out their reasons. We have found no justification for our perpetuation. The assumption that any group can objectively assess the commitment and potential of others in the community is naive, as is the suggested possibility of selecting the seven women most worth of the honor. The range of talents and interests of women students accents the impossibility of the task of selecting seven as superior, or 21 or 49. A maturing university must constantly examine traditional functions and structures. So basically, it sounds like the Order of the White Duchy got woke. Is that a fair assessment? For their time, yes. So 50 years have passed since the Order of the White Duchy disbanded. Um, Is there any new iteration of the Order of the White Duchy that we know of? No. Like, is there, like, are you saying, like, is there another, like, White Duchy? Yeah. There has been speculation that the Trident Society now taps female members, but that cannot be confirmed. But we tried. We reached out to a lot of women who are in esteemed position on campus. DSG president, the former editor-in-chief of The Chronicle, a Rhodes Scholar, president of DUU, and the current young trustee. Claire Ballantyne, Gabby Stewart, and Amy Kramer all got back to us saying that they were not involved in any secret society and not in the Trident Society. I actually sat down with Gabby, who is a Rhodes Scholar this year, and she assured me she wasn't involved and also said that if she had been tapped, she would have refused the offer. I lied about what colleges I got into. My extremely competitive high school was filled with people who dreamt of Ivy League futures, 
Even though very few people got into them, I put a lot of pressure on myself and said I got into Cornell. In reality, I was offered deferred acceptance, joining after my freshman year, and never wanted to go there regardless. Like most of my applications, I only submitted it because everyone else did. In hindsight, this was a stupid lie, and one I've always felt gross about. What is a greater institution than secret societies on Duke's campus? Dean Sue. She's been on campus since 1979, and she's seen how secret society's interest and activity has ebbed and flowed throughout the last four decades. One year, for the men, they didn't tap someone that would have normally expected to be tapped. Very angry, this young man. Very frustrated. So he started his own secret society. I don't know a lot about that secret society other than it still exists today. Um, it's called the Old Trinity Club. And you may have seen them. Um, on last day of classes. Um, the only thing I can tell you is, uh, beyond that, is that usually after they appear on the quad, there is some evidence of them drinking beer um, behind social sciences, um, sometimes with a keg. When I started working in student affairs in 1979 into 1980 and into the 80s, I vividly remember them in the 80s. Um, and they tended to have a lot of wrestlers in the group, and that may have been because their advisor was the head res wrestling coach. One year, and this was a long time ago, this had to have been in the 80s. Um, the Old Trinity Club had been out a couple times over a year. Um, Let's assume they'd been out at Oktoberfest, which used to be a big deal, Spring Ternational, and they were out for the third time that year. And um, people knew, a group knew when they were going to be coming out. I don't know how, but a group of women appeared on the quad at the same time they did, dressed in white robes, not black, but white. And every time one of the men would do some kind of crazy antic, the woman would go and mirror it, mocking it, mocking him, you know. And people were laughing. I mean, it was hilarious. And the women were laughing, too. Um, they made it into this total mockery. Um, and that was one of the funniest things I ever remember about the old Trinity Club. Um, and the guys didn't stay out long. Like, they... They had a, the members, the, the old Trinity Club members, they had a difficult time handling that. They didn't know what to do. And they tried to continue to do their antics, but the women were right there. And they would do exactly, you know, whatever they did. Um, and they didn't know how to handle it. And I know that several of us just stood there and watched because we thought it was one of the most clever things we had seen in a long time. I didn't perceive any interest in secret societies until well into the 2000. Um, not in the 80s, the 90s, uh, no real chatter or interest. And then in the 2000s, there were these uh, interesting symbols that started to appear on campus. 
there were these symbols that would appear on the sidewalks. Um, one symbol was a toaster. It was painted and uh, I think it was permanent. It's washed off since, but it wasn't something that just washed off with the rain. It wasn't a chalk kind of thing. It was actually painted. There was another group that used two initials, and I can't remember what the initials are, but suddenly started seeing those initials on the sidewalk um, all around campus, strange places, you know, where you just stumble upon them. So people began to say, what is that? What does that mean? And there was this chatter about secret societies, and it must be two secret societies. Hi, I'm Cameron. This is Cameron, a producer on the Here at Duke team. So Cameron, you did research on the Trident Society, which is the other prominent secret society here at Duke. Can you tell us what you found? I did. So uh, I basically just Google Trident Society Duke, like as anyone would do. And the third result that came up or something like that was this person's CV. So I went on it, and it was a Duke professor. His name's Nicholas Carnes. Um, and then within his CV, he had um, under teaching an award called Outstanding Teaching Award given by the Duke University Trident Society in 2015. So he's a professor still at Duke, um, pretty young guy, and it's right on his resume that he got an award from the Trident Society. Um, so that was pretty interesting. So I reached out to him. He didn't get back to me. Um, but it's interesting. It's on his CV. There's no explanation as to why. Um, but there is there is evidence of the Trident Society doing things like this, giving awards to people in Sanford. He is a professor in the Sanford School of Public Policy. There seems to be some link with that school. Um, also evidence of like giving out postgraduate scholarships um, and things like that. So this is bigger than just the student population. Like, this, he wasn't even a Duke alum. Um, so, like, it, it's professors, it's students, administration. It just so happens that one of our very own team members, Sanha Lim, actually had his own brush with the Trident Society. So after Duke's fencing team won our first ever ACC championships, we were uh, sent this mysterious email. It said, in recognition of your recent athletic accomplishments, the Trident Society will recognize you and your team when the sun sets this evening. To celebrate your victory, the bell will toll on West Campus Quad for all on Duke University's campus to hear. In addition, we have left roses in your honor at the base of the James B. Duke statue. It was a little shady, to say the least, but uh, one of our team members went to investigate anyway, and he found a pair of wilted roses lying, as promised, at the base of the statues. I think everybody was a little weirded out. Um, I don't think anybody had heard, really, of the Trident Society. There's a lot of people saying, well, oh, just like the Illuminati, um, it's like freaky, like how did they like even like get in touch with us? Yeah, so it was weird. This has not been an isolated incident, actually. A West Campus security guard witnessed a similar scene on the week before this year's LDOC. One night we had some guys, you know, they had them kind of Grim Reaper type of suits. Really? And there was a bunch of them marching, and one of the guards with me, he was like, Mr. Greg, what's going on? And they went up there, 
and they had put some roses like down on that statue and then huh. they came back Fresh. My first time visiting campus, an upperclassman friend took me to a party. I had not seen him in years, and he seemed very excited for me to come to Duke, so he wanted to show me around. After the party, he Ubered us back to his dorm room, against my wishes and pleas, and then proceeded to try and coerce me into having sex with him despite the fact that I am underage and he is 21. His excuse was that he just assumed I was into it and that he had invited me to the party with the intention of having sex with me. It was an exhausting and disappointing ordeal, and along with a 2.30 a.m. trek to the bus, angry and freezing cold and holding my heels, it was one of the most unpleasant situations I've ever had. Perhaps the situation is not universal at Duke, but this culture of coercion and disrespect is really appalling. It was Monday, April 23rd. Our Here at Duke team was about to have our last general body meeting of the year. I was walking towards the languages building when I got a message that there were secret society guys standing still around Abel Quad, facing all in one direction and speaking to no one. They were juniors, fulfilling their initiation requirements for the old Trinity Club. I met up with Cameron and Sanha, and we started asking questions. We're now standing in front of Alan. We're actually a part of a podcast called Here at Duke, and we're doing an episode on secret societies. And we were wondering if you would give any input. Just standing here, um, there's a student. He's just standing with his right leg crossed in front of his left and not speaking to me, which is understandable. Uh, no hard feelings, but uh, <laughs> yeah kind of weird. Um, what group are you a part of? No answer. Okay. Hope you have a good night. They wouldn't answer. So we turned our attention to the people walking down the sidewalks. <laughs> Wait, can you describe what you're doing right now? We're just having a little fun out here. They look a little serious. <laughs> she was dancing provocatively around them and it was hysterical. Then it started. The cooing. Yeah. <laughs> why do you why do you think they're here? I don't know. You know, they want to be seen, but they don't want to be seen. <laughs> that's, that's the best. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. I turned around and saw a group of robed white men flocking toward the guy right across the library steps. They were mostly seniors. They had already been initiated, and they were having some fun with the juniors. That's what I'd like to talk to you. He has one question for you. What is the worthy bread sandwich? He didn't answer because I had a microphone right in his face. It's okay. Okay. Oh, speak. Speak it on. Speak it on. So close. The one speaking turned to me. Hello. Hi. And walked away. So as we're out in the field, it just so happens that the other half of our team was having their own run-in with the old Trinity Club. 
Hi, I'm Alec Ashforth, one of the other producers of the Here at Duke podcast. While all of that was occurring on the quad, a couple of us were heading towards the general body meeting. At around 8.45, Jenny, Taylor, Kami, and I arrived at the room where our meeting was supposed to take place. We went in, and the room was absolutely trashed, reeking of alcohol. There were beer bottles and cans on every table. In the room, a laptop was left wide open with an email on the screen. I'll come back to that later, though. We quickly realized that this was the room where the old Trinity Club members had left all of their stuff. We waited outside the room for a couple of moments until one Secret Society member returned. I came in and it was like, obviously it smelled like alcohol, like intensely. So I started opening the windows and started asking like, um, oh, why are you guys drinking? Like on a school night on Monday? What are you guys celebrating? <laughs> and they were like silent, dead silent. And he's like, um, the end of the year. I'm like, okay. <laughs> we told him that we had reserved the room and rather slowly, other members started to come back inside. Every time we heard footsteps, there would be this brief clutter of panic and then silence. They all picked up their stuff and left our room. They didn't move too far away though, just to the bottom floor of the exact same building. Let me just say something real quick. What are the odds that we, a podcast club about to make an episode on secret societies, happened to reserve the same room at the same time that Old Trinity was having a meeting? Probably 3,720 to 1. It was kind of crazy, but there was really only one option. Investigate the hell out of this. What kind of journalist doesn't dream of this field work with danger on the horizon and adrenaline pumping through your veins? We did a little bit of undercover investigating first pretending to drink from a water fountain or camping out in a bathroom stall in hopes that someone would let it slip. But tight-lipped, the members marched on, and we headed up back to the room, a bit disappointed. But we would not leave empty-handed. Sanha suggested that we confront them head-on, and immediately I was up for it. The both of us headed down to the basement to ask these people what they were up to. How's it going? That was Scott. It's nice to see you guys. When Sanha opened the door, the first thing that struck us was how many lacrosse players there were. If we didn't have the context, it would have looked like a team practice. The second was that every single one of them was white and male. They leaned against the wall, arms crossed, and glared at us like we were in a B-rated mafia movie. Okay, so... We are from a podcast we're called here at Duke. We're doing an episode on like secret societies and the groups and like what they're like and kind of how they affect campus. Uh, just because you guys are really like, I mean, or we're assuming you're oh, a secret Garrett, society. Could you say yes yeah. or no? Or? I think you have the wrong idea about us. We're just kind of yeah. a group of friends that yeah. meet up every once in a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> if that's all, then. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're here at Duke H-E-A-R if you guys want to reach out and talk to us. Okay. If you want to comment anonymously, you're welcome to, that, yeah, to do that, too. Yeah, spend your time doing something else. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, we think it's pretty interesting, but uh, we appreciate okay. it. Have a good night. Yeah, I'm <laughs> All right. We tried. So, Sanha... Tell me what was going through your mind when you left that room. 
So I put on a brave face, but in reality, my hands are sweating, and I was very low-key scared because I had heard of people who had followed them before and got them beat up, and I was not about to get beaten up. Um, and I was also fascinated that this kind of self-importance could exist at Duke. They're hanging out, and they thought they were so cool. But I was also kind of frustrated that this kind of stuff still existed too. So again, Sanha and I headed back up to our meeting with not much new information from the guys downstairs. But they did leave one very interesting clue, remember? The email. Subject line is all caps. Speak to no one. You silly mocker. You think you can behold the sacred bush. Gaze upon the sacred shape. Maintain the sacred position, but you cannot. You are just an impotent, unworthy, whiny schoolboy with a satchel and shiny morning face. Those who came before you have proved their worthiness, and if you aren't AC Green, then you can prove your worthiness tonight at dusk. Stand in front of Craven House D on the main quad at 7 o'clock tonight. Face east. Do not speak. Do not move. Do not be late. Speak to no one. Signed. 42. The email is from a James Worthy. We don't think Worthy is this guy's last name, but a title to indicate that he's already proven himself to the society. AC Green is a reference to a basketball player from the 80s who played on the same Lakers team with another player named James Worthy. James Worthy's jersey was 42. There are rumors that the old Trinity Club identifies their members by their numbers. This is what makes us think that the guys standing outside and the ones drinking in languages were part of the old Trinity Club. As for who 42 really is, that's a case for a podcast with a much bigger budget. If I can't hold it in, I'll fart on the C1 then look around and ask, who did that? As if I don't already know. And I've never been caught. So all of these experiences and glimmers into secret societies at Duke beg the question, why are we talking about them and is it even a problem? So there's probably a lot of people out there like saying like, why should we even care? Like, this is basically a joke. Why are we spending our time following these people in the robes, like running around drinking and making random noises? And in a recent Chronicle article I read about secret societies, there was a comment where a Duke alum from 1965 said, uh, and I quote, lighten up a bit and reserve judgment. So I think that statement is interesting because on one hand, we can't make any judgments because we still don't know what exactly these groups do and who are in these groups. But just because there is information that we still don't know, that doesn't mean that we should just like idly wait and just like hope that these groups will disband and then make their information public like the Red Friars and the White Duchy did. So if these groups do exist, which I think there's no doubt that they do, um, we should care and be troubled by their existence. Uh, through the Red Friars and the White Duchy, we've seen these secret societies have hidden power and influence, um, whether it's access to information that the student body doesn't know about, access to administrators, 
they've had they've held a lot of covert power that's very troubling obviously and so it would be incredibly naive for us to say that that power no longer exists in the current day societies whether it's old trinity club trident society or any other group and especially that's the fact when we've seen links to administration um, whether it's talman trask or like people like young, like young trustees being in these groups we've seen that power that seems to still exist in these current day societies as well especially in this moment where issues of selectivity and exclusivity are really being discussed here at Duke. Exactly. Like everywhere I turn left and right, someone is talking about selectivity in some way, shape or form, but we're not holding these secret societies to that same standard. And I think it's really interesting because like literally secret societies are the pinnacle of elitism and selectivity. These groups aren't just a group of friends that meet up every once in a while like they like to like to claim. Um, we're talking about a group or groups that give out teaching awards, scholarships, roses for varsity teams with links to administration and other high officials at Duke. Um, and I think what's really fascinating is the fact that the secret societies of the past disbanded, and we talked about the reasons why, right? They failed to be useful in their, in their job and mission. They were like publicly ridiculed, and their members realized that elitism that I talked about. Um, and that was in the 60s and the 70s. Like we're now 50 years later a more diverse student population, a lot more um, nuanced ideas when it comes to selectivity, but we're not holding these groups that we know exist to that same standard that the Duke students did 50 years ago. And so why do you think that we're not holding them to the same criticism and critiques that Duke did five decades ago? So I think it's all about the level of secrecy these groups hold. So I think we could explain the resurgence. Um, it's due in part to the increase in secrecy of these groups, um, and especially with the identity of who the members are. So you have the old Trinity Club or the group that initiates on the quad with their like robes and their strange noises. And so that group is a little bit more out in the public. We see them, right? And because of that, there has been more ridicule, more criticism. I think I think that's great that we're actually like talking about it. Then there's also a group like the Trident Society, like one that I think has done a great job of being a society. Um, you have to give them props on that. I think they we absolutely don't know like really anything. We know their actions, right? Like we see the links. We've seen things like scholarships and the teaching award, but we don't know at all who is in the Trident Society. Um, and I think that's the real difference from the groups now to like the Red Friars and the White Duchy. Those groups were really only secret societies by name, right? They were really senior senior honor societies. They would just pick like seven seniors every year. You knew that they were it was going to be like similar type people. It was going to be like the student body president, the head of the conduct board. Like people knew the identities of the members. But now we still have groups like that that still potentially hold that same power, but we just have no idea who they are, where they're coming from. We have no reasoning or explanation as to why these people are being chosen. Um, and I think for everyone at Duke, we have to keep asking those questions. Why do these groups still exist? And I think especially ask questions to things like administration, like are, is there some type of link with those people choosing these people? And who's to give those people the right to like change the way that Duke looks like behind everyone's back? Um, I think it's also really troubling when we have a lot of great student leaders here that are trying to make change and make Duke a better place. So even if the mission of the group is something that might be positive, um, you saw it with the Red Friars and the White Duchy. They themselves had a mission that sounds really great on the surface level. And I think there is some things that they did that did help make Duke a better place. But the reason they disbanded is because they realized they weren't the ones that should be doing that. They realized that that small 
secret group doesn't represent the Duke population and that we have really great student leaders who are already working with administration to help change things. Colleen Scott, Jacob Weiss, Gabby Stewart, and John Buin for their contribution in this episode. Thanks also to Paddington Bear for the background music used in this episode. A huge thank you to our team. This was the first episode that we produced with everyone involved in one way or another. We are so proud of the way that you've grown as storytellers with here at Duke. We can't wait to see where you guys take this project next year once we're gone. And thank you for listening. We'd like to tell you a little bit more about our project. Here at Duke is not just a podcast. We're an organization that promotes student-produced work by streaming shows on our website and hosting live podcast events all around campus. So just check out here, that's H-E-A-R, at duke.org to see what we're up to and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Tinder at Here at Duke for daily audio stories from the Duke community. (laughs) Thanks for being here with us. 